Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. My name is Doug Cunnington, and in this episode, we're going to do all sorts of stuff. So I recorded a segment with John Dykstra where we just talk shop. It's sort of like a recorder being in the room when he and I were just talking about things that we're interested in. So we talk about niche sites, we talk about courses, and several other things as well. So let me know if you like these sort of episodes. Additionally, I have a few questions that I'm going to cover. So Steve Buchanan, a longtime listener of the show, sent in a question, and I will play that um, at some point, I think uh, after John's uh, segment here. And then there were a few other questions that popped in over on the YouTube side. Actually, there are hundreds of questions, so many questions that I can't quite keep up, but every now and then I, I go and check out some interesting ones and then I'll cover them here. Additionally, I will kind of pull back the curtain a little bit and tell you about things that I am doing on YouTube, which I haven't seen anyone else try specifically or like post information or results based on this sort of content approach that I am testing. It is wild and out of control and I'm making it up as I go along. However, I'm getting interesting data and again, it's it's a, sort of a content strategy that I haven't seen people talk about. So I see other people doing it, like Gary Vee, for example, but I can share some of the results and kind of my mindset. And I mean, I'm getting feedback. It's very interesting uh, because on the YouTube side, it's very easy to get feedback and you can get feedback from you know, great fans, um, great followers out there like Steve or Kai or whoever, you know, Marty McLeod, Adrian, those kind of folks. And there's hundreds of you out there that probably don't even comment. There's also the trolling aspect of the internet where I can get comments from who knows who. Uh, They could be out of their mind. They could be like a, you know, 13-year-old kid that, you know, they don't know what they're talking about. And I, I really don't want to argue with, uh, you know, maniacs out there. Uh, however, on the podcast side, you're listening right now. You're a more sophisticated audience. I'll give you a lot of credit there. A lot of times um, you love the shows that are deep into the weeds. And I sometimes get um, emails that are a few pages long where someone has given me a ton of feedback on episodes, on podcasts that they enjoy, and they re-listen to it. And it, it's a great Um, honor because that, I mean, I did that and I still do that when I listen to certain podcasts um, where I really want to go deep and I I don't mind listening to it again. I'm that interested in it. So anyway, I'll tell you about some of the stuff I'm doing over on the YouTube side and some of my observations so far. So anyway, um, I'm going to throw it over to this, you know, over-the-shoulder conversation uh, with John Dykstra and myself. He blogs over at Fat Stacks. I'll put links in the description and stuff like that so you can check out more of his stuff. If you're not signed up for his email list, you should. It's a, it's a, it's a cool sort of email that um, I don't, there's not that many other people doing the kind of emails that he is sending out um, each week. High value. There's a story behind it. It's a great email list. So anyway, I'll stop rambling and let's hear from uh, John. Hey, what's going on? It's Doug Cunnington here and my friend, John Dykstra. How are you doing today? Doing great, Doug. Thanks for having me. And we had such a great response from the other episode, which if you haven't heard it, do check it out that we brought John back on and we're just going to talk shop and just uh, have a conversation. So I have a couple things that we want to talk about. And I'm just curious, just on a personal level, John, um, are you you a family man? Like what's your situation? It sounds like you got a lot going on business wise, but I'm just curious. Yeah, I'm married, uh, married 10 years this year. Uh, Wonderful wife. And we have two boys, seven and four. Right now. So, yeah. Very busy at home, too. Yeah. And uh, 10 years. So, I'm coming up on my 10th anniversary. Have you already had your 10th anniversary? We did, yeah. What'd you guys do if you could share? Oh, yeah. We we threw a huge party. It's fantastic. (laughs) We've never done one at that scale before. It was a lot of fun. Awesome. Congratulations. Yeah. My uh, 
my wife and I, I think we may just um check out the symphony they're playing like uh goonies on the big screen with like a live symphony so oh nice cool. yeah yeah that's we're a big fan of Goonies. It was like, I don't know how old you are, but we're both bald. So I assume you, know, you grew up in the eighties. So I'm an eighties kid. Indeed. Indeed. All right. Oh. We'll get to it here. So I'm curious why you started fat stacks. Yeah. You know, it just kind of happened. I, I was build out niche sites really one at the time. And I was, I was doing a lot of Facebook stuff and you know, I, I enjoyed reading other people that wrote about what they were doing with niche sites. And I always appreciated the ones, you know, that I, I learned a lot from them. I got misinformation from some. I mean, that's bound to happen. It's not their fault. I don't think they're trying to mislead anyone. It's just, you know, not everything works for everyone. Uh, but I must say, overall, on the balance, I mean, I've, I've, I've been able to do what I've done because a lot of people have blogged about what's working. And so I just thought it would be cool to participate in the community um, with, with the block. Yeah, it is a business. It's a commercial enterprise. There's profits involved and so forth. It's not a, a, a charitable website or altruistic effort. But uh, I always enjoyed reading those other websites. I still do. I mean, I read yours all the time. I like being on your email list. And I read it every time. Uh, so... And it's fun. I mean, I like writing about the stuff, and I'm having more fun with it today than I, than I think I ever have. I, I really enjoy writing and hearing back from people. I mean, I met you. You know, I'm sure if I never ran Fat Sox, I, I probably would have never met a lot of people I have. So it's just been a fun, and, you know, fortunately, it's, it's a profitable endeavor. Couldn't ask for more, really. Very cool. Yeah, I mean, I'm basically in the same boat where I was like... I learned from other people. It seems like an interesting thing. It helps you like communicate better. Um, I think probably as a lawyer, you did a lot of writing. It's very critical for you to communicate clearly. And I have like a technical background, so I'm not good with words so much. I'm better with like all the analytics and numbers. So it's really helped me a lot. Um, but I could see it as a perfect outlet where like you're obsessed with, you know, this, this marketing area and then you could talk about it, refine like how you're thinking about it and that sort of thing. So very cool. Now, when you started fast stacks, were you like, Hey, I'm going to do affiliate, um, like offers or were you going to do your own products or did you even know at the very beginning? Oh, it was just going to be content and some affiliate stuff in the beginning. I had no immediate plan to do a course or anything like that. Um, but it, it slowly grew in popularity. It's still a fairly small website, I would say, relative to a lot of the other ones out there. I, I don't have 40 hours a week to devote to it. So, you know, it's that's the way it is. Uh, but it didn't take too long till I thought maybe I'd try a course and i put one together and, and that worked reasonably well and I enjoyed doing it. So that's sort of where it went. I've... Uh, affiliate stuff. I think I even had ads on it once upon a time, <laughs> but it's not really a, a type of site where I think you're going to do best with ads. I'll leave that for my other sites. Very good. And when did you start fast stacks, by the way? Uh, 2015, okay. probably cool. Yeah, toward the end of 2015. Yeah. And I, I remember, you know, speaking of like just the networking that happens with bloggers, one of my friends, Lewis Ogden, I think he told me about your blog first and then I, I checked it out back in the day. I, I think probably circa 2015, uh, most likely. Oh. So probably early early days. Um, but yeah, like I knew Lewis because he blogged um, at Cloud Income, and then yeah. So just it's it's sort of an interesting it's an interesting network. And if you have like a platform for people that are thinking of starting a blog, like if you have a platform, like you you can reach out and people will. Um, probably respond not always you got to have like some longevity <laughs> yeah. like if you start a brand new blog and you're trying to do a roundup like i may not i may not participate <laughs> because they don't get published i've done probably five or six podcasts where i recorded i spent an hour or more with someone and they never published them and i was like man i just wasted all that time so but the networking oh super cool yeah i agree so um, it, you mentioned you were getting into courses a little bit and like the first one went pretty well. So you started in 2015's Fat Stacks. Uh, when did your first course like come about? 
2017 maybe, maybe 2016, right okay. around there. Okay, and what, what was it? Call it Niche Tycoon was the first course. Okay. And it was a fairly extensive course, and I, I did that for quite a while. Eventually it needed, well, the whole, it revolved a lot around Facebook traffic. Not, not exclusively, but a lot of Facebook. Eventually, when the Facebook party ended, uh, obviously the course needed to be, well, it was, it was kind of done. It, it had its time. So I, that, that's how you, that course is no longer available. Gotcha. And then you've done, obviously, since that sort of marketing mechanism went away, no longer effective, um, you've gone back and you, you do more courses. And we, we just talk about it now. Like you, you do several courses now, right? You have a suite of courses out there. So what, what keeps you going back to courses, even though, you know, you have limited time and, you know, there's customer support and just the tech side of it all. So what keeps you going back? Oh, well, it's it's really a good way to monetize the website for my efforts. Uh, I, I built a pretty good audience, and uh, I get a lot of people asking me questions, and so the courses help with that. But it, at the end of the day, it's it's uh, a good way to monetize the site um, rather than just doing affiliate stuff. It gives me more control over it, too, in terms of, you know, uh, like I said, I'm doing, I'm doing small courses now. Instead of one large course or two large courses with everything in the kitchen sink, but it's, which was what my first course was, I'm, I'm, what I do is, is I create very focused courses on one method or angle. And, and that's it. And that's a whole course. And the reason I'm doing that is... I don't. I think it lets people pick and choose. I price them lower than I otherwise would if it was everything at one. But it lets people pick and choose what they want, um, and it also gives me control over sort of releasing different courses and offering promotions and so forth throughout the course of the year, rather than doing it twice or three times with one week course. I can I, I can continually sort of as a promotional aspect. I've got something always that will be fresh and uh, able to promote and and. By doing that, it also gives me an incentive to continuously update them. Some will, won't need a whole lot of updating. Some will need continuous updating, but like a lot of continuous uh, once or twice or three times a year. Sure. Very cool. And, and I think it's a brilliant um, way to position the courses. Like you said, it's it's micro-focused on a like transformation or like learning a specific thing and usually, not always, but usually those those things are something someone can like learn over the weekend and start implementing like right away. Um, do you have like an example of one of them where you're like, yeah, if someone takes this course, they'll be able to like knock something out um, in just a few days or a week or so? Yeah, my um, the display ads deep dive, uh, which basically sets out exactly what display ad networks I'm using, where I'm putting them, and what configuration, how I format the content on my site. Basically, every single thing I do, because I run my niche sites the same. They pretty much, unless I'm running experiments, which I'm often doing, but if I'm not, everything gets laid out the same. Makes it easy, makes it efficient, and their layouts at work after five years of testing. Um, but essentially, I put the same ads in the same places, and so with that course, I mean, there's not a whole lot to it, but you can look at what I'm doing and, and go make the changes and so on. So that's one example. Uh, I, I would say another um, good advantage of, of doing the smaller courses is that, uh, like, for instance, with the big course, right, when I used to sell it, and I enjoyed it, but, like, when, let's say, a third of it becomes obsolete, right, and I don't know how you deal with this. It'd be actually interesting to hear what you do. But let's say a third of it's obsolete and you can't really update it. But the trouble I found was, is people bought the course. You can't go and start deleting modules, right? But at the same time, I didn't want to have a course where the information isn't very good either. It's outdated or I'm not doing it or, you know, you know what I mean? So I struggled with that. I have this big course with everything in it. And then, but... I didn't want to go delete stuff because people have paid for it and, they, and they're entitled to have that content remain in there. But at the same time, if somebody else buys it, I don't want to mislead them thinking, well, I'm doing this when I'm actually not. But it's in the course for the people that bought it previously. So I find when I break it up, 
if a, if a, if something is no longer working or it's not relevant or I stop doing, I can just drop the course and no longer make it available. Yet I have all my other, the other stuff is all fresh. So that was another big. It was a, it was a response to a problem I was finding with having a course, and I'm, maybe I'm curious. I'm, I am curious to hear how you deal with that because. So, actually, I've had the same thing at, at one point in time. I had a course on private blog networks. Um, funny oh, enough. yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, that actually, that was one of the very early courses. And, you know, eventually, I was like, I don't want to do that anymore. And just, you know, it goes away, like you said. Um, the current course that I generally um, promote, Five Figure Niche Site, I tried to make it um, as future-proof as possible. Um, I actually used probably too many tools that change over time. So something like Longtail Pro or Easy Azon or SEMrush or fill in any tool, like they slowly change over time. So if you if you actually create videos and screen flows, like it can be confusing and you have to go back and do like either redo them or in some cases where I found like better tools to use, I had to redo it. So I try to remove the dependency on specific tools. And then if it's the case where I'm like, all right, this tool is the best one to use. Um, I may, instead of doing a video, which most of the courses in video, I may do screenshots because right. it's a little bit easier to replace like the one screenshot if they move a button or they change some little thing, just one screenshot versus like a whole video to either re-edit or reshoot the whole thing. That's a huge pain. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's either, that's something you got to deal with. It's like, you, you got to either update it or try to make it generic enough where the concepts hold up. And I wonder like, um, you know, for example, Brian Dean at Backlinko, or I've taken several courses from, um, I will teach you to be rich, the Ramit Sethi, um, copywriting, like a lot of stuff from, from him. And they generally, um, well, they have a big staff and they're making a lot <laughs> Make a lot of money. They have they have a little more uh, firepower than than I do, but um, they make it quite generic. Like they they're hitting okay. main concepts, and I think after I took a few of those courses, I saw oh I need to I need to go like maybe a level up, and then if anything to your point, like you can't necessarily like remove certain things, but um, I would move it down to the bottom, put the updated material up top, and say oh this is deprecated. Like back in the day, this tool worked really well. Um, but currently don't recommend it. And I put, you know, red slashes through it. So there's no, no yeah. one accidentally thinks, Hey, I need to buy, you know, that tool that like right. basically isn't supported anymore. That's so, a good approach. And yeah, it's tough. Cause I mean, you know, we're running a lean shop. It seems like neither you or I want to have like an org chart. Uh, although you have a little bit of an org chart going on, but you just have one person reporting to you in general. Um, but like to do, to do the courses, like some of the, the bigger guys that are and gals that are out there, like publishing a ton, it's like, you have to have a staff that like goes through every line and updates everything. And like email support, how do you handle email support or support for the course? Uh, well, actually it's sort of forum for anyone who buys any one of my courses. So it's private, but, uh, that's where the support is, but it's it's way more than support. I, um, when when Chris Lee was running uh, Rank Excel, I, I like Chris a lot. And uh, anyways, um, he started a forum, and I joined. He was charging a small fee for it, and I had lots of fun on there. Uh, he had quite a few people on there, and it was active, and I enjoyed it. And, but then when he he um, is no longer running it, Rank Excel, I sold it. Um, obviously the form just kind of stopped and I'm like, Oh, I kind of miss it. So I fired one up and I thought, okay, well the question was public or private. I thought, well, this is actually a good way to just offer support as well for people who buy courses because I'm on it Monday through Friday and I can see their questions right away. Super easy. So, so that's how I do it. And it's worked out really, really well, but it, it's not just support. Like we have a lot of, um, you know, almost 300 people on there it's community lots of good info i mean there's people on there i don't really know specifically but they really know their stuff and uh, so we're all at different 
phases and stages. But anyway, support is handled through there rather than something like, uh, what is it, um, Zendesk or Freshdesk or one of those. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Anyways, it's, it's been good because people can see the questions. And if they got something private, I welcome them to email me if they don't want a public. I got no problem. Gotcha. Gotcha. And I'm doing it all through email and I have um, a VA who helps me with like common questions. But generally, I mean, I think that's part of one reason why I I charge a lot and then people are happy to pay it. Because like if you send an email, I end up reading it and I'll treat you with respect versus, you know, a YouTube comment. I may, you know, bust somebody's balls pretty, (laughs) pretty regularly if they ask a silly question. Uh, but if you're a student of mine, then I, I treat you with respect, like we're talking face to face, that sort of thing. So very cool. Um, well, I, you know what? I, I think we we probably are at the end of time here. But John, anything else on your mind? Anything else you want to chat about? Uh, no. Um, you know, one, one thing I found is interesting lately is so could we've been kicking around FastX? I don't talk about FastX much as part of my business. Really, I just don't really see as it's relevant. I sort of like stick to about the new sites and testing I do. But uh, uh, one thing I found interesting, um, email marketing for me has always been a bust. I've always been bad at it in my niche sites. It's been very good with fat stacks and I enjoy it. Um, but one thing I found that is has helped out a lot is to write more in the emails than in, um, you know, just check this out, link out to a blog post. I think a lot of people, and I noticed it for myself, I started doing this because you know, we're on our phones a lot, right? And you get the email. It's like, I'll read the email. If it's in the e- email, I just rip my thumb through it and boom, boom, boom. But I don't really feel like, you know, going to waiting for a site to load and blah, 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 right? So I, don't know, I just thought that that was interesting. It's, it's worked out. And it's not to say I don't do the link thing anymore. I mean, I still do it. But um, anyways, but, you know, on the email marketing side of things, uh, the, other, the other thing that I've had two bits of information that I wouldn't say is wrong. It just never worked for me over the years. And one is is that display ads don't make money. That is not true, depending on the niche you're in. Um, the other thing is is that email, all the money is in the list. And I would disagree with that in, in so far as saying that is not the case in every niche. Because I am in niches, and I have built up huge email lists. And I have tried everything under the sun to make it even worth the cost of paying AWeber to have these subscribers. And it doesn't work. I'm not saying there's not collateral benefits with it. There are. I could send traffic to my site, and I can do this, and I can do that. But it's a lot of work and a lot of money for really not a whole lot of benefits. So I just put that out there because I know a lot of people – I was really frustrated for a long time because I kept reading, like everyone's saying, like the money's in the last. And I I would just say to people, hey, if you're in a niche – and I don't know what niche it would be, but there are a lot of niches where you can build up a huge email list and it's not going to do anything for you. And you know what? I'm, I'm in the same boat as you. So don't just think like you're doing it wrong or, or anything like that because you're likely not. It's just that's the niche. That's the way it is. Every niche is different. And uh, in fact, I would say a lot of them are, are kind of like that. But like they're just general info entertainment. Like don't tell me you sign up to a uh, – like, I don't know, your favorite celebrity gossip site. You happen to sign up on there because they were giving something cool away. I mean, are you going to read, like, every email that comes through? Are you going to buy something? that? No, you're not. You're there because you want to be entertained for, like, 20 minutes. That's it, right? <laughs> so, anyways, that's that's the last thing I'll, I'll address. And uh, I, I really appreciate coming on uh, this uh, twice with you, Doug. It's been fun. Thanks a lot. Fantastic. Yeah, and I, I agree with you. I've grown some big lists out there and like, yeah, you can get some traffic to a couple blog posts or whatever. I've done big autoresponders, but, um, yeah, if it's not a, a, a good list for what you're trying to do, there's just like no point in it. So I, I stopped doing email capture like for certain sites, but others, you know, obviously niche site projects <laughs> like fat stacks, um, yeah. is really important. It's a big revenue driver. And, uh, before we finish up, did you see Netflix has a uh, like a promo for like the sequel uh, or like after Breaking Bad? Oh yeah, I think it's a movie, right? A movie. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's gonna be. I think they're doing a movie. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I don't I know anything so. about it, but uh, yeah, I know. I can't wait. Whatever it is, whether it's a movie or a TV show, whatever, it'll be awesome. Yeah. I'm in. Uh, yeah, and for the people that don't know, Fat Stacks is a, <laughs> is a callback to Breaking Bad. Fantastic show. Love it. So, 
Alrighty. Well, thanks, John. Um, I'm sure we'll do it again uh, soon. So have a great day there. Super. You too. Thanks, Doug. Thanks to John Dykstra for joining me for that conversation. And I just remembered John actually has launched his own podcast and YouTube channel. So I'll put links uh, for that as well. I've only listened to a couple of episodes so far, full disclosure. However, John's a cool guy. I obviously had him on the show twice and his blog and the content that he puts out is excellent. So I expect the same. John, don't let me down, buddy. Uh, But I expect the same from him coming out from the podcast and on the YouTube side as well. So with that said, I'm going to send it to the voicemail that uh, Steve Buchanan sent over to me. And if you want to leave a voicemail, I get very few of them. So at this point, there's about a 100% chance that you'll get on the show if you leave me a voicemail, as long as it's not like nonsense and uh, self-promotional. But everyone's been pretty good so far. I will mention that uh, the the length of the voicemail that that um, Steve left me is perfect. It's about 90 seconds or so. That's the perfect length. Um, I believe there is a three-minute limit. So someone did try and, I mean, they left me a voicemail recently, um, and it was a little long, and it cut off in the middle. So it's about three minutes long, and they left me a second one. So I'm going to be putting that in a, in a uh, episode soon. So we'll remain with the hundred percent success rate. If you leave me a voicemail, you're probably going to get on the show. Um, but I will, I will shorten that one. It will be an abridged version, but uh, about 90 seconds is perfect. You know, 30 seconds, 90 seconds is just about right. Um, it's good to have context around your question, but I don't need your life story. So although I appreciated the story that the person told that will be on a future episode and I'll stop rambling now and send it to the voicemail. Hey Doug, this is Steve Buchanan, a longtime listener of the show. And basically Mike Paul and also I am from uh, Northern Illinois, Southern Wisconsin area. And my question is I have a small niche website and I get about a 10% conversion on Amazon and sort of run out of um, Amazon best of articles. I'm, I'm going to probably add a few more, but there's not a ton more to based on this niche to add. But there is a ton of ton of informational how-to articles I could add. Um, right now I'm about 53 articles on my website. Um, I'm at probably making 100 to 200 bucks a month on it. So should I keep going all in on the informational articles to sort of build up the site, gain more traffic and put ads on it? Or should I just um, add, you know, continue putting on the best of articles and then just sort of like put it on, leave it on autopilot, leave, shut it and forget it? Also, I rank for this niche, a lot of my products, I rank number one in Google. So, um that's probably, maybe that's why I have a decent conversion at 10%. It's, it's one of those niches that there's almost nobody in, which is kind of surprising. But um, anyways, yeah, I rank number one on, I don't know, probably at least a dozen best of keywords for that site. So anyways, what's your thoughts? Thanks. All right, Steve. Thanks for all the support over uh, the last, I don't know, several months, couple years. I'm not 100% sure, but I've seen you around a bunch and I appreciate all the support and thanks for the voicemail. This is a difficult question to answer. There's no great um, like way to know for sure what the right thing is to do. And you will probably run into this in the future. I run into it all the time where it's like you have a couple choices you really don't have enough information and whatever you choose now, like you really won't be able to like go back in time and choose the other path. Now there's a couple things that you mentioned. I'm going to quickly summarize so people can have this um, in mind. So you, I think you said you had about uh, 53 posts or something like that. You're making a hundred to $200 per month. You, you feel like you've maxed out the product review keywords and content that you can publish. However, you have a lot of other informational keywords that would support the overall site. And 
I, I think what I would personally do is probably go after those informational posts like you're, like you're suggesting. Um, it sounds like you have quite a few of them. It can help the site be like more well-rounded and potentially just get more traffic. You might be able to boost the rankings for other keywords that you're not ranking number one for or and or you may be able to get a little bit more traffic to the posts that are already ranking number one by ranking better for long tail, more long tail keywords. If you're ranking number one, you're probably ranking for many long tail keywords, but if you're able to you know, just get more traffic in a general sense, then obviously that's a good thing. So I guess I would probably publish more of that informational content um, because it's available. Now, the thing I would challenge you on is whether or not you can add more product-related keywords. So you may be able to look at other very closely related departments within Amazon and see if there are some products that would sort of fit for the same audience as your, you know, current content, I guess that's the way I would put it. So if you think about the products and the people that would buy the products that are already on your site, and then maybe you could find other products that the same audience would be interested in, that could be a good fit. So quick example, I'll stick to my ballpoint pen analogy, or not analogy, but example. So a a lot of times people that are interested in pens and they're shopping for pens, they may be interested in paper and different things that they can write on like notebooks or journals or whatever. So even though your site might be, this is just an example, everyone, um, your site might be about pens and writing utensils, you could probably sneak in things that you write on because you are in like, that audience is interested in those sort of things. Another example I just thought of is if I had like a a beer brewing uh, related site, people that are brewing beer are also probably interested in the glasses and serving vessels that a person can use. So maybe that is like a double walled stainless steel growler or, um, you know, a tulip glass or, some sort of other, you know, pint glass or something like that, people would be interested in those sorts of things as well. So um, another thing I'll quickly highlight, you mentioned a 10% conversion rate and you didn't specify, but my hunch is you're probably using some keyword golden ratio type keywords. So a lot of times I do see, you know, double digit, um, you know, 10 to 15% conversion rates on sites that are writing content that are um, it's keyword golden ratio compliant. So people are going there for a very specific reason. And if you can get them over to Amazon, they're usually pretty far down the sales funnel and they're ready to make a purchase. So that, that is the other beautiful thing with the keyword golden ratio. A lot of times it's a highly qualified visitor to your site. So thanks again to Steve for uh, leaving the voicemail and I don't remember the phone number off the top of my head, but it's in the show notes and description and uh, you could call and leave a voicemail. Like I said, um, around a minute plus or minus 30 seconds is sort of the ideal time. Three minutes is the cutoff. So be sure you you finish what you're saying. Maybe write it down beforehand. Think about what you're going to say. Keep it tight. So good job, Steve. Let's jump over to a comment that was left over on the YouTube side on one of the uh, Doug Show episodes. So this is from Baggio1221. Hey, Doug, what's your opinion on a niche where there seem to be plenty of buyer intent KGR, that's keyword golden ratio keywords, but the competitors seem to be well-established informational and affiliate combined sites with uh, Heidi domain authority and page authority and a lot of links. Obviously, there are more factors to consider, but if you came across an instance like that, what or would I consider it? So I I would consider it. There are, like you said, there's a lot of factors, but what I would think about and what I would look at is whether or not those well-established sites that have a lot of links and a high domain authority and all that stuff, 
whether or not they're actually serving the searcher. So the cool thing, again, with the keyword golden ratio is it's so specific in most cases that if you can answer the question more specifically than those big sites, you're going to be okay, most likely. Now, it's good to have uh, some other keywords where, you know, uh, it's pretty clear you have a strong opportunity to rank for it because you don't see those well-established sites. But basically, um, actually, let me give another example. So if you are thinking about like voice search these days, people are searching for really specific stuff and they're using, you know, natural spoken word. Um, you may end up with a super long tail, a uh, very long phrase. And if that's the case, if you're able to serve that searcher better than a more general answer that, again, maybe on one of those big established sites, you may be able to win. Now, I can't say for sure every, I mean, really every keyword is different, even keywords within the same niche. But when you get down to it, like if you think you can serve the visitor, the searcher, you know, let's think about it like a searcher. Someone has a problem, they're trying to get a solution to the problem, whether, you know, the problem is, uh, you know, hopefully their toilet is not overflowing, they need help fast, but if it's something where, you know, they're trying to pick a product um, and you could serve that person, that searcher better, then you're going to be okay. So I think I'm being extremely redundant, stating the same thing over and over again, but that's sort of how I would look at it. Um, another thing I would probably take a look at is like the, the quality of the content. I mean, maybe it goes without saying, but everyone is coming at this at a different angle. If the quality sucks on some of those sites, even though it may have a lot of links and a high DA um, and a high PA, again, page authority, domain authority, those are metrics from Moz um, that are still you know, often used and cited. Um, but if you look at the quality, and you can still see this right now, even though content quality is generally accepted as like very important. You could still find sites that have kind of crappy content, yet they rank pretty well. Um, I, I was going to give an example on an internet marketing site, um, but I, I will I will leave that alone for now. So I, I would potentially go after it, and I think the the big thing is you found quite a few. Um, you said plenty of buyer intent KGR keywords. So I would I would maybe give it a shot. Um, it's, it's again, hard to say. You never know until you get started. And once you start taking action, um, you should have a pretty good idea of like what's going on. Are you able to rank like you think you should be able to? And um, then you could adjust from there. Now, before I go on, um, I I think it, it, I should mention, because I get this question all the time. Uh, so someone's like, hey, I published some KGR um, you know, pieces of content. I published three of them. They're not ranking. Um, it doesn't work. You know, wh Why isn't it working? Typically, probably the number one issue that I see is people are using a tool like the Yoast SEO plugin, and then they're trying to use the keyword density that Yoast is suggesting. And the problem with the Yoast SEO tool is it's made for the masses. And if you're doing KGR keyword research, you're doing some elite level advanced shit and not that many other people are doing it. It's pretty obscure. <laughs> like it's extremely obscure. I, I literally made it up. So basically if you are following what a general tool for the general public is um, like suggesting. If you're following the Yoast SEO keyword density, you will be overusing the keyword almost 100% of the time. You will be overusing the keyword by an alarming rate. Now, it depends, right? Uh, it depends. Um, basically, what happens is like a shorter uh, keyword phrase, like ballpoint pen, you could use that more often. It's more natural to have ballpoint pen used a few times in a thousand words. It's normal. However, if your keyword phrase is best ballpoint pen for journaling for teenagers, that's a super long phrase. 
I don't even know how many words that is. Must be like 12 or 15. Someone let me know how many words that is. And then if you use that a few times throughout the content, it is extremely like not natural. It is unnatural. It's not normal for someone to write that long phrase more than like once. It's actually, that's a weird phrase. It's actually weird for someone to write that phrase one time. All right. That's a weird long phrase. Um, so that is tip, like if you've used the KGR and you're using the Yoast SEO tool and I've heard a number, I've heard so many people say, well, I really like the green, um, the green light and the red light and the yellow light. Fuck those lights, you know, like don't pay attention to those lights. Um, I recently have removed the Yoast tool from Niche Site Project because I was only using it for one small piece of um, functionality, and that is to no index my like category and uh, author and date archive pages because I didn't want those to show up in the search results. A kind of a standard practice, and it's a piece of functionality that is in the Yoast tool. However, um, you can actually write a little bit of code, and I just Googled it, and you could write some code, a little PHP, and then insert it into some of those WordPress files on the back end. Um, if you're interested in seeing this, I can potentially make a video on it. But again, this is a pretty obscure. I mean, I'm I'm getting pretty far out there. I really wanted my site to load fast. And whenever I can remove a plugin, like I, I like to remove the plugin. So I'm an edge case here. I'm weird and I know it. But... I was like, hey, I can get rid of this whole bloated plugin that um, maybe I don't need and insert some code. And uh, that's what I did. So I've, I've removed it from a couple sites um, at this point. And yes, um, some people are like, well, don't you need to be able to insert like a meta title, meta description and blah, 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 some other functionality like that? The answer is yes, you should be able to do that, right? You want to be able to have that at your fingertips and your WordPress editor. However, if you use a plugin or not a plugin, if you have a theme that has some of those SEO like fields that you can just enter in, you'll be in fine shape. You don't have to worry about it. The theme that I use, it has that. So I don't need to have a plugin to do it. I can just use the theme and it, it will default to the theme. So again, this is sort of obscure. People have mentioned they do like it when I get deep into the weeds and talk about, um, I guess, unconventional, non-conventional stuff here, and uh, that falls into place there. So, all right, let's move on. Let's move on to some of the stuff I'm doing on the YouTube side. So, let me, let's back up a little bit. We have time here, so we could tell a story. Um when I first started on YouTube, it was scary. You know, you could actually go back and look at some of those really early videos back from 2014. And gosh, I wish I would have continued making the videos and like, you know, challenged myself to do a video, you know, once a week or once a day or whatever. Instead, I did like once every nine months and I uh, got really nervous whenever I was doing the videos. At this point, it's like, I, there's so many other videos out there. Um, it's all I could do <laughs> to just like keep publishing, which is kind of, you know, the point that I'm going to end up making here. But it was very, it was very scary at first and I didn't publish very often. Then around uh, early, I think 2016, is that right? Or maybe 2017. Early 2017, um, a friend of mine, we were sort of masterminding, um, talking about just you know, marketing stuff. And she mentioned to me that one of her friends was doing like webinars all the time and doing like YouTube videos and stuff like that. I was thinking, Hey, maybe I should try that. So I was just like, for the next quarter, for the next 12 weeks, I'm going to do a webinar. I'm, I don't care how many people show up. I'm going to do videos. And as I was doing more videos, right. Cause I was doing one like webinar per week. It was live. Right. So I had to think on my feet. I had to be able to hopefully speak without tripping over myself too much and keep going. And I also committed to do it 
even if zero people showed up. So if I scheduled something, I was going to do it. Anyway, over time, I got into this YouTube stuff. I started creating more and more videos and just publishing more and more. I think at the time that I'm recording this, I have something close to like 700 videos. A lot of videos. After some time, I started publishing more and more videos and I think it was in February of 2018, I published like two videos per day. Some of them were live streams, but I published a lot of content. And one of the cool things, right, um, you see the metrics uh, very clearly. You see a ton of analytics over on YouTube, almost to the point where it's like overwhelming. And if you only pay attention to the analytics, you could sort of be led astray. But, um, and you get addicted to just, hey, if I publish more videos, then views go up and view time goes up. And if you publish one video per day, that's good. If you do two per day, that's even better. If you do three per day, like some people do watch all the videos, right? Which is super cool. Thanks if you do that, by the way. Um, But some people watch everything. And the problem is it's really hard to like figure out the ROI. So you have to enjoy it. You have to get obsessed with it, which I enjoy it. I, I like the the technical aspect of shooting the videos. It's difficult sometimes to figure out exactly like how to f- like shape the content and then tell the story. If I even have a story, right? There's tons of my videos where I'm just like spitting out facts and it's fairly dry, but you know, I'm doing, I'm doing what I can and I'm learning along the way. So I do try and, you know, interject some stories um, a little bit more. Now, the challenging thing is, um, you know, when you do something for a long period of time, especially, I mean, I think I even just mentioned, you know, YouTube could be like a treadmill where you're just on it and like you see that you're getting positive results from doing more work. So you end up doing more and more work to the point where you get burned out. If you just, if you search around on like, uh, on YouTube for like burnout and I guess, how would you phrase it? It is, it's like uh, YouTube creators and, and burnout and overdoing it. And a lot of times you'll see folks who are like ultra productive for a long time. They're like on hiatus for like a month. They took some time off. Um, their views went down, but they, they came back fresher and more interested. So I've I've done this a little bit here and there. The cool thing for me um, is I I didn't even turn on ads um, or make any revenue from YouTube for a year and a half, two years, something like that. After like getting into it hard, so I've only had ads enabled on certain videos for a little over a year. And the revenue is nominal. It is not much. It barely pays for the editor um, at this point, which is fine because, you know, connecting with the audience and doing the videos has been super valuable for me in other ways aside from ad revenue. So with that said, um, it's hard to, you know, pinpoint the ROI. However, I knew it's, it's been valuable over time to, you know, do YouTube videos. I did get burned out. So a couple of things that I've done, which I thought were, you know, moderately creative is this, right? So <laughs> I kind of talked myself into a circle there, but um, basically I knew that um, as I was publishing a lot of videos, I maybe only had, and this is, let's rewind to maybe like the middle of 2017. I maybe only had like uh, 2000 subscribers or 4,000 or 5,000. And right now, as I'm recording this, there's something like 16,000 subscribers. And I know that the way you know the YouTube algorithm works, um, and the way people consume content, at least based on my own consumption on YouTube, people that are watching a lot of my videos right now, they may not have seen, they may not be aware of some of the content, some of the videos that I published in you know late 2018. So with that said, I was like, you know what? Some of these videos are pretty good. I could see the stats are solid. However, there were a lot of views in the beginning and then maybe it tapered off. Um, I can review the analytics. Maybe I can see there was a big drop-off point after you know th- three and a half minutes because 
I went off on a tangent that didn't make sense and a lot of people dropped off. So I have the opportunity to look at the analytics, download the same video that I've already published, spruce it up a little bit, and then republish it. The content is still the same. Uh, most of the time when I'm creating content, unless it is a you know super topical um, sort of news story, I try to make it evergreen so that it's relevant in six months or two years. That's not always going to be the case. Um, tools change. So if I'm doing a tutorial about a tool and the tool changes, then obviously that's not evergreen. But I do my best, especially for like broader concepts and ideas. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to republish um you know, 40 videos. I let my VA know which ones. Um, and I was just like, download them, re-edit them, and uh, let's republish them. So there were periods where I was just like, hey, you know what? Let's just republish this whole thing and see how it goes. Cool thing is, it was fine. Like they they, <laughs> they get views. Um, again, it turns out there's probably, depending on when someone... Uh, started subscribing or watching the videos or whatever, there's a good chance they haven't seen all 700 videos. That would be kind of crazy. So if I could republish something, it's like a syndicated like rerun if you're thinking about like TV shows. Sometimes it's relevant to uh, republish and it's kind of a like normal thing to do with video content. So I've been republishing certain things here and there. Now for the super fans, um, sometimes I rewatch them. That's great. That's, that's fantastic. Um, for the, I, I'm going to call them freeloaders. No one that's listening now. I'll just be clear. Um, some people have, uh, they watched a video and then, um, they saw, I republished it, you know, six months later or something. And, and they're, they're mad, you know, they're mad. They feel like they've been cheated. They're like, Hey Doug, you republished this video before. Like, don't be lazy. And I'm like, it's free content. Like, don't watch it. You know, <laughs> you control what you're watching. So if if it's one that you're already aware of, um, you could just skip it. It's okay. Um, also, I've been publishing videos like crazy. So um, it's actually hard for some people to keep up, which is crazy, right? It's kind of, it's, it's, uh, I didn't think I'd get to a point where I'd be able to publish that much, but let me break it down for you here. So Number one, um, I have been recording a podcast, right? The Doug Show, you're listening to it right now. And the software that I use to master the audio is uh, great. There's a lot of like integrations to other tools. One of them is over to YouTube. So I can just uh, master the audio and it will publish over to YouTube privately. And I sort of bank those up for a little while, for about... Uh, four to six months, something like that. I was sort of publishing them along the way. Um, whenever I published the actual podcast on Mondays and Thursdays, but then I started to bank them up, um, just because I was like, oh, you know what? Like, I'm just going to publish it on the podcast that way, you know, maybe more people will go over there. And part, part of it was laziness. You know, that's, um, one of the great decision makers for us. So I was like, you know what, I'm just going to let them stack up over there. And I ended up with about 50 of them, something like that, 50, 50, 60 episodes, something like that, that were over on YouTube, ready to be published. And they were just sitting there. So I have a VA an executive assistant and she's been scheduling um, two per week. And the cool part is we're, you know, we're banked up for, you know, five months or something like that. And I'm still publishing a lot of episodes. I've kept up with the two uh, episodes per week since the beginning of the year. Haven't missed um, one day, which is nice. And I'm working ahead, you know, months ahead of time at this point. Now, so that's one part of it. So two videos per week are being published on YouTube, but they're just podcasts. They're just audio. And the insane thing is that a lot of people on YouTube just use it to listen to audio. It's a video platform, but sometimes people are like working out or maybe they're in their car or maybe they're at the office or whatever, and they'll just hit play. They listen to it. So the Doug Show episodes that are just straight up podcast, a lot of times they won't get quite as many views, but people listen to them for longer. 
So this is going to come into play in a second. One of the cool things, again, you get tons of analytics over on the YouTube side. So I can, I can see, you know, the percentage of, of the video that someone views on average, right. In aggregate. So I can see like people are listening to, you know, 70% of certain videos and what, what did I do for those? And then I can also, I can also see like number of views, the, the watch time, um, if they're a subscriber or not, there's like endless data. It's like Google analytics, that, that level of data, you could slice it and dice it so many different ways to the point where it's like, I'm not even sure what I need to be checking out here. And they've upgraded a lot of stuff over on like the creator studio is what it's called on YouTube. So I can see click through rate. Um, I could test headlines. I could test different thumbnails and all that kind of stuff. So tons of data over there. And, um, like I mentioned, I was publishing a lot of videos and I got a little burned out and I realized, Hey, I'm just kind of trying to pander to the analytics and the metrics that I can see. And I, I'm not sure if I have the end like user in mind, um, the audience and what they're trying to figure out. So I, uh, backed off and I was like, all right, I'm not going to just keep publishing. If I don't want to publish a video, I won't publish a video. I think I've still kept up at least one per week, sometimes many more. But the big punchline here is um, I realized that if I just create the videos that I like to create, uh, similar to stuff that I would want to watch, and that is long-form interviews with people doing interesting things, people like John, people like Spencer Hawes, uh, Sam McRoberts, uh, Sharp SEO, and I don't have the full list of people that I've interviewed. Oh, we got Miles Beckler coming up soon, who's a pretty massive YouTuber. So when I was like, I'm just going to, I'm going to stick with the videos I like. They're going to be way longer than what a lot of people want to watch on YouTube. But the people that are really into the conversation, they're into what we're talking about they will really enjoy it. So I I, st I took a step back and I was like, I'm going to create the videos that I want to create and I'm not going to worry as much about the metrics um, because I do have many videos under my belt. I've consumed this sort of content personally and I've been doing um, you know podcasts as well. I have a pretty good handle on like what people are enjoying and if it's hitting the right audience and that sort of thing. I have, I don't have it all figured out or anything like that, but I realize, like, Hey, if I'm producing content that I enjoy and you know, it's a good conversation like John and I had, usually people dig that and I think I should do more of it. So I stuck with that for a um, couple months, especially around the summer. Um, I went on vacation for about a month. I was pretty much off the grid. I didn't, I just scheduled, I did all the work ahead of time, scheduled things out so that, you know, podcasts were published, YouTube videos were published, all that stuff. When I returned, I had a little bit of a fresh take and I was like, hey, you know what? What if I, uh, what if I divide up and segment out, basically edit down some of the long form interviews? Because basically people were complaining right? I was talking about the YouTube comments and stuff. So people were complaining. Actually, they were real dicks about it. Um, again, no one here, no, no, none of the listeners here, but they were just like, uh, Doug, you're so annoying. Why do you make your videos so long? You should make your videos shorter. Um, I don't have enough time. So one thing that I've learned is feedback is hard to get. Honest feedback is hard to get. Again, on YouTube, I don't know if it's like a kid who doesn't know what the fuck they're talking about or what. So I, I can't really engage in a debate. I can only thank them for their feedback and see if I understand a trend. Can I detect a trend? And as I asked around, I would, I would literally ask in the videos, say like, hey, like, do you like these long ones? Do you like the short ones? And um, people wanted shorter videos. So I was like, okay, how can I do this without creating a ton of work and I can learn some stuff. Hence, this is where I ended up um, looking at like the Joe Rogan um, YouTube channel. And I guess Joe Rogan has a like a clips channel, which is a interesting 
thing that he's implemented. And I understand why after trying this a little bit, but um, for a quick example, uh, the original interview with John Dykstra, it was, you know, an hour long, something like that, 40 minutes, an hour. I don't, I don't remember. And I asked my editor to split it up into like two to 10 minute segments, something like that, something in that sort of sweet spot where it's under 10 minutes. And I also, I mean, I just looked at the Joe Rogan's, uh, the Joe Rogan clips YouTube channel and that's what they do. They don't show Joe asking a question. It's just like the guest is answering a question, talking. There may be some follow-up conversation. Um, some of them are super short. Some of them are 15 minutes. Um, some of them are you know 20 minutes. So I just kind of, I was like, let's try that. And again, the cool thing is you can end up with, you know, from a 40-minute interview, I may end up with eight or 10 like little mini clips there that are straight to the action. You know, it's the guest talking, not me, not me fumbling around with a question. The guest is talking and making some interesting point. I may follow up with a, um, hopefully an interesting point of my own or some cool follow-up questions. And, you know, we take it from there and then it's just a quick intro, quick outro and people can get like the bite-sized piece that they wanted. The other cool thing is I just get a ton of data, right? So I could publish a ton of these videos. People are either uh, thanking me, right? So I know this is interesting. I don't know what's the right thing to do. Um, So I get two main reactions. One is these short clips are fantastic. I love to be able to just watch, you know, the couple titles that I'm interested in and then move on. And if I really want to watch the full interview, I have the link in the description to watch the full interview. Or the other reaction is, this is so annoying. Um, Why do you publish all these videos? So I do know that you can't make everyone happy. However, I'm giving both options. A person can watch the full video, which is, you know, 30 minutes, an hour, whatever, they can watch the full video or they can watch the small segments or both, right? It is uh, inconclusive. I'm not sure like what's better or worse. Um, I have been enabling ads for some of the videos, which has been interesting. You know, some people are like, dude, these ads are terrible. And uh, you know what? I can't, um, I don't feel too bad. I mean, it's free content. And if you don't want to watch the ads, you can pay to get YouTube premium. Um, I have YouTube premium, but you know, if you don't want to watch the the ads and you don't care enough about the video, then you could watch the full video, perhaps get rid of most of the ads. But I guess the, the big point is I'm testing it out and I haven't seen, you know, most of the like YouTube content, uh, around publishing, on YouTube is more at the beginner level and not that I'm super advanced. Um, you know, my channel's not that huge, but I've done a lot of videos and I'm, I'm curious to see what will happen with the Google or I guess the, in this case, the YouTube algorithm, if I'm just publishing huge amounts of content and I will, um, I go through periods where I watch a little uh, Gary V and sometimes he's a little much, you know, but in many cases, he's just like, just publish a ton of content. You're going to learn. Um, you'll be able to actually, I don't know all the reasons, but he's just like, just publish, just publish stuff. Like the quality will get better as long as you're working on it, which I think over time, my uh, video quality has improved. Um, but the, the big thing is I'm just like flooding my channel with tons of videos. So when I look back, um, at say October through the rest of the year, so October through December of 2019, I believe, um, I haven't figured it out a hundred percent, but I think on every, uh, Wednesday I will be publishing a series of these clips. So I'll have a decent amount of data. I'm not, sure how it's going to turn out. I may, I may shift it. Um, I mentioned earlier that Joe Rogan has a 
channel dedicated just to clips. And one of the advantages to that is people can subscribe to the clips channel and then they will expect to have like a flood of, you know, 10 or 15 videos that are published all within a day or something like that. And they're not upset about it. That's one of the reasons why people were upset with me is because they're expecting to see maybe like one or two videos from me per week. And then when they go to their home screen on YouTube, they just see, you know, 15 videos in one day or whatever. And they're thinking, this is terrible. I don't want to watch any of these. And then they, they get a little offended. It's not personal. I'm just testing stuff. So anyway, I think I, I rambled on for a super long time. Let me know if you're interested in more about that topic. Obviously, this is a podcast, but people people are publishing on multiple platforms. And uh, by the way, in many cases, I am trying as much as I can to just like repurpose content. So I will have a blog post where I talk about, you know, the keyword golden ratio and uh, writing content using the keyword golden ratio. So I already have a piece of content. I don't even know if I have that piece of content, by the way, but then I'll create a video because I generally know what I need to talk about and I can, you know, make a couple bullet points, do a 10 minute video and it's good to go. So anyway, I think I've talked myself into a circle. So we'll just finish it up here. Thanks again for uh, the questions that people sent in. If you have questions, uh, you know, you could send it over to feedback at Doug.show. Voicemail phone number is in the description. So you could check that out. Also over on the YouTube side, if you are, you know, if you're not a YouTube person, that's cool. I understand that. But um, there's a lot of similar, but not 100% duplicate content as far as like the, the topics and the information. So if you're interested, you should definitely check it out. And if you're brand new to the show, like all together, welcome. Thanks for sticking in for like an hour here. Check out some of the other episodes. And if you like them, please subscribe. I would love to have you as a part of the crew here. So have a great day and we'll catch you on the next one. Mm-hmm.